Here's a theme song, you know it's not a mean song It's a good song, just as it should song American Brews and Tunes indeed. That is correct. As oh our, my our theme gosh. song always says. Yes. Um, welcome to American Brews and Tunes. Yeah. This is episode number 120. It actually is this time. Believe welcome it or back. not. <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, last um, episode was about No Use for Names album, Feel Good Record of the Year. Exactly. And how amazing Tony Sly is and how much we love nice rename and his melodies and all that so hopefully you went out and listened to that but this week we've got something really special for you yes we do uh it's been a while since we've interviewed a brewery or a brewer or owner of a brewery so we thought let's do it again why not and why boy, not boy did we make a good choice yes we sure did we uh, really anyways, did this week we are interviewing Somebody from Necromancer Brewing, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's our good friend from college, Ben Butler. Yes. I BB. Think, I think we're going to talk about some really good information that you all yeah. would be interested in from their history, why they got into brewing and uh, releasing beers, uh, the history of their beers, because it's a very... Um, very niche uh, idea niche. that they have. Here. Beer, beer style, and and very odd beer style centric, and yeah. the current trend of beer right now. Yeah, we we go over quite a few really good things in this in this episode. Uh, so we hope that you guys enjoy it. And if you're in the Pittsburgh area, go go to go to Necromancer. Go to Necromancer North They're Hills fantastic. of Pittsburgh. Good beers, good people, good hangs. And without further ado. Here's the interview. Oh, oh yeah. All right, we're good. We're live. Here we are with our next guest, Ben Butler of Necromancer Brewing. What's up, guys? That's me. We've known <laughs> Ben for a long, long time. Uh, we, we met each other in college. Uh, the three of us went to school up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where Ben still lives and operates his business. Yeah. Some good times up there were had. Yeah. We had so, good times indeed. We we cut our teeth as young uh, craft young beer appreciators yeah, yeah. at True. at a uh, in hindsight a, a strangely located robust list sort of place that <laughs> was our oasis. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. I I know that you didn't really spend too much time at the corner tavern, but we all went to the backdoor tavern, which was a good a good introduction to craft beer for us in uh, the Beaver area in, in uh, yeah. Pittsburgh. Good place to start trying things that was was a little different than just Yingling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Yingling or just another American light beer. Yeah. But a little about Ben's story. Um I'm not gonna say it all because I'm not an expert like unlike Ben. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but senior year of college, you you started out marketing. You 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 started your own company, correct, Ben? Uh yeah. So <laughs> I uh senior year started an agency called Top Hat and uh is actually going into my senior year. I had an office down down the highway in Wexford, and um, as the story goes, I skipped most of my classes senior year and somehow graduated and yeah. uh, got the agency up and running and uh, and did that for about eight years. And the you know about fifty percent of the agency's lifespan was pretty not pretty much 
you know, exclusively, but fairly dominated by consumer packaged goods, uh, especially mm-hmm. craft mm-hmm. beer. And so we were lucky to, to get into that. And you can see where one, one thing led to another. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I don't know if it was your first foray into to marketing for, for craft beer, but I know you did the will work for beer campaign. If you want to explain a little about that. Yeah. So me and, uh, Aaron, who's now my business partner in Top Hat and the brewery, don't crossfade, bro, but do. <laughs> uh, we were just kind of sitting around. It was just really me and him at this opportune moment where the agency was super young and so forth and so on. And we're just like, oh, man, what kind of work do we want to do? And we're just like, oh, I don't know. We like beer. We should try to work for beer. Okay. How do we, how do we get a foot in the door? Because up until that point there was not even a lead, not even a a trail, not even a scent of a craft brewery that would be interested in working with us. It's a fairly Mm. closed community where you need experience and credibility because it is very nuanced and need to understand all the ins and outs of the industry. So if you're not in it, you need to do something to get in it. And so we're like, why don't we just do this campaign called We'll Work for Beer? Because as an agency, we reply to these things called requests for proposals so we're like, why don't we just do our own? And hmm. it's two breweries. If you want to work with us, tell us why, pitch us, and uh, we'll do a you know a year long project in exchange for beer. And you Dang. can do like a dozen of these campaigns. Mm-hmm. And you know, my experience is you might get lucky and get like fifty percent of those like out in the open and fairly su- successful. Most times it's a right place, right time, right people sort of thing. Our story was picked up immediately by Hop Culture, who called us about it like mm. as soon as we put it out. Uh, and we got 40 plus, I forget what the number was, but 40 plus pitches from as far wow. as uh, huge. Brazil was one of oh, the wow. places Dang. that pitched us right here in our backyard of Pittsburgh, uh, Boston, Michigan, Florida. We were on everyone's map all of a sudden, and we ended up picking Lord Hobo, which we didn't know they were a big deal at the time. They just sent us beer, and it was good at that time. From correct? Yep, from Boston. Okay. And uh, they pitched us really compellingly and told us about their stuff. And sure enough, the moment we stepped on their facility, they had canned their six millionth boom sauce, which we got (laughs) to enjoy uh, directly off the line. And... uh, the rest is history. And then cut to actually the will work for beer campaign is monumentous because the new owner of Pittsburgh brewing company. So Pittsburgh brewing company, historic 1861 brewery in Pittsburgh, yeah. huge barrelage, huge history. The owner who's from Pittsburgh bought Pittsburgh brewing back, wanted to make it a good, credible company again and do everything right. And he found us because of the Will Work for Beer campaign, which somehow he heard about. Sure enough, wow. we built, we beat the best agencies from New York City and our own backyard to get that account and have been which the agency awesome. of record for yeah, that's them as well. Yeah. Wow. Massive, massive stuff. I mean, that's, that's a pretty awesome campaign. And, and Hop Culture is pretty big too. I didn't know they picked up the story for you, but that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And I guess that makes sense as to why you got such a, a great turnout for, for breweries coming towards you. Yeah. Yeah. Really uh, grateful to Kenny for, I sent it to him and he called me like right away. And it was one of those things where it was like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while, but this is really cool. We're going to help you out and put it out there and tell the story. And it was, it was massively successful. And again, right place, right time, right people. 
that campaign just kind of stuck it won all sorts of awards and really started elevating our portfolio uh, as an agency for the first time in a long time and yeah. so that was really the the true beginning of top at because you know they say it's a five-year overnight success ours was a four-year overnight success and that campaign churned the round, round it up churned the wheels five, but- yeah we'll round her up uh, yeah, that was the campaign that started everything for what this agent, what the agency is now, which is a prolific, you know, cannabis, CBD, uh, beer, mead, wine, getting into all the spirits. Like it's just, it's just stupid easy now to do because yeah. of the work that we've done so far. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it didn't just fall into your lap. You guys, you guys put some, yeah, some pretty good effort into that. Oh yeah, it's a tough biz to be a, a creative. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. very difficult, yeah, as you guys for know. Sure. Yeah, but you yeah. got the go-getter personality for it, and that uh, I mean, it, it it obviously worked out, which we'll touch upon yeah. here soon. Yeah. Uh, but before we move on, uh, let's go ahead and, and try the first brew, shall we? Yes. Bones we Desire. Bones Desire. I know um, you guys. I gave you guys a bunch and I, a yes. big ask of let's drink them all. Um, <laughs> so we'll give ourselves some not, yeah, not some we're massive gonna... pours here because it. It's a little it early is. for us over here in Nashville. Yeah, it is. It is 10 a.m. So, but, you know, it's breakfast wanna, of champions. As we it is. How much it's Saturday. It why is Saturday. Start, why start at five when you can start at nine? And why don't you tell us a little bit about this beer, Ben? It is a oak smoked wheat ale. And yeah. uh, for those who care about IBU and whatnot, it is 28 IBUs and 3.2% alcohol by volume. So, a fairly drinkable beer, I would assume. Yeah. So I'm, I'm mostly curious about the uh, the oak part of it. Oak yeah. smoke. Yeah. So this is a good stepping off point, and th- I picked this beer intentionally. Necromancer came from really this perspective of uh, from the beer agency side. We deal with a lot of people who are visionless when they start their brewery, and it's our job to take their current status and what they've been successful for and to turn it into a compelling narrative, both visually and writing and and storytelling and blah, blah, blah. And (laughs) so I always wanted to start a brewery. I didn't really ever knew what, I didn't know what would go into it. And so when I was studying for the certified Cicerone, which is the beer equivalent of the sommelier, just to be more credible in the industry as somebody who could say, I do know what you're talking about to clients, which was a very good bargaining chip to to help get us differentiated. I uncovered this category called historical beer styles, which was a a category of study. And I was like, you know, it'd be really cool. What if we made a brewery that was centered around the, the concept of resurrecting these extinct, forgotten and dead styles. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's cool. Something people don't do. Yeah. Yeah. They're usually like when you open a brewery, you're, you know, the closest to a vision driven brewery that I have seen is the new lager, fo- lager focused breweries and things of that nature, which are popping up yeah. in the Midwest, mm-hmm. especially, uh, you know, Chicago is having a, re- a renaissance that way. But most people are just like, I'm going to make whatever I want. And it's like, or I'm going to just mm-hmm. make, I'm going to be the Hayes King, baby. I'm going to be the juice. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. I'm the juice Lord. I'm, so, I'm personally getting so trendy sick. right now. I'm getting so sick of Hazy's. But I know and we have one later, which is fine. We do. But <laughs> and, there, and so, you know, I was like, all right. But anyway, what's a, what's, a, what's a name? Necromancer. Because uh, yeah. a necromancer resurrects dead things. Is it yep. available? Talk to the lawyer. It was available. So he trademarked wow. it. He said, well, you should probably start protecting this. So I was like, okay, so we'll go start a brewery. 
And uh, I mean, it's a lot harder than that, but so long story yeah. short, um, one of our, our, the whole reason we exist is for these resurrections, but also if you, if you kind of radius out from the resurrection, there are categories of beer that in the modern day are really hard to find. Like we do a black IPA, which is like a, mm -hmm. a West coast style. We do a, a classic red rye IPA, which is a very West coast dripping with pine. It's actually bitter and it shocks people. They're like, mm. I haven't had a bitter IPA in forever. And it's like, because <laughs> no, everybody is putting out this like sugary hop water, uh, yeah, to, definitely. you know, Please classic matches. West coast and traditional sours. And so we kind of radial out and we do the trendy stuff because, you know, we like to bait and switch people. Yeah, in the yeah, sense definitely. of like, obviously, like, hey, come and bring in with the hazy, and I'm gonna but trick hey, you into tricking that. Yeah, yeah check this have, out. And then know. the next time they come back, they want the old style, because and they bring a friend who wants better, the hazy. Right? <laughs> so one drinker at a time. You can, yeah. but anyway. But I'm so, yeah. touching back on the bones desire. I'm bones really, desire. really kind of curious because for smoked beers, I typically would expect a porter or a uh, a stout. Yeah, definitely. Um, something with like a big body to kind of support that smoky flavor. Um, I can't say that I've ever had a, a smoked wheat ale, which yeah. so, is different. On the so this, on the can, real quick, sorry, Ben. On the can yeah, go for it. is the uh, resurrection number seven, and then the word next to it, is that the style mm -hmm. that you're resurrecting? Grodzitsky. So, Grodzitsky? Grodzitsky. Yeah. Cool. So I want to make sure that's what that was. Yeah, so cool. we whenever we do beers like this, we try to create – uh, a dynamic of something you would recognize and then something that, I mean, the style names are usually like very not descriptive of what it is like Grudziski. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I believe that's Polish. Uh, this is a it, Polish it beer. And sounds Polish. Yeah, it looks either Polish or German. Yeah. This is a, uh, a Polish beer and there, there's a lot of overlap in German and Poland for various reasons with a lot mm -hmm. of resurrections based on regionality and current governments and et cetera. But uh, mm -hmm. Grodziski is called Polish Champagne. Hmm. And this was actually like the most popular beer of Poland until uh, the, the Soviets and things like that uh, changed the, the landscape. So traditionally, it's an oak smoked wheat ale. It's supposed to be extremely effervescent and I'm that I'm that. like very high carbonation, like as high as our our equipment can go on the carbonation scale is what this is. Mm -hmm. And That's, that would be the champagne factor there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the, has like you a know, nice dry, dry feel to it. It's pretty light, it's pretty, pretty grainy in, in a nice way. It's that's, that's really nice, Ben. Um, so I'm really we, like really getting the smoke, the oak mm. smoke. See, I was going to say, I think the smoke is subtle. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm, but no, okay, I, it's so, definitely there. It's I not guess, like let, a punch in explain. the face of smoke. Cause some of those smoke beers are, are like, eating the ham right and yeah. that's not at all what this is <laughs> right yeah yeah let me explain though it's like i think it complements like the light body pretty well or like it works like you don't need as much smoke flavor but it comes through really well because it's a wheat ale yeah so like i like taste sausage in this like i yeah i feel like it would be a good beer to have at breakfast <laughs> like yeah it's only 3.2 percent yeah and it's a really easy drinking like really smooth have it with a side of pierogies yeah <laughs> a side of pierogies <laughs> yeah this is this beer is interesting. I always tell people give it three sips because kind of like whenever you're tasting whiskey, first sip is yeah. like 
the versus the alcohol is the front end of the spear. The second is a calibration, and the third is a yep. true impression. And anybody I've ever wrangled to do so who was like put off by the first impression because you know everyone has a, a flip floppy reaction based on their palate. To me, it smells smokier than it tastes. For Aaron, mm. who you know is the other head honcho at the brewery besides our head brewer, you know he tastes more smoke than he smells, but they kind of balance out after that third sip and you just have this really enjoyable experience. It's like the waft of a campfire at night, just a gentle mm-hmm. wind and you're kind of over there. And yeah. we actually make beer mosas with this when it's out. Um, oh, we that put would in be some really good. Juice. Interesting. Yep. Yep. I think I could see that really well. You can also it's really make good like with a, a bloody bacon yeah. as well. Bacon. Yeah. And, and as he said, after three sips, you get, you get kind of acclimated to it. I didn't smell any smoke at first, but uh, after tasting it, it, I can smell it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Again, everyone, but everyone has a little bit of a different reaction to it, and um, I like it too. You know, it's really good. I'm I'm glad you like it. It's one of my favorite beers ever, and it's really funny. This is a lover hate beer, and you know, palates change based on life stage and uh, life cycle and things of that nature. I always tell the story of. I went, I was fortunate enough to go to Dublin and to visit Guinness going in. I hated Guinness being there. I still hated Guinness. Then (laughs) I came home and about a year later, I'm sitting on the patio and it's kind of like Ireland weather in Pittsburgh, like rainy and foggy. Yeah. I was like, you know what I could go for a Guinness, a wee pint Uh of Guinness. My palate just changed with my life stage, and now I love Guinness for for this exact huh. moment. So, if you hate hate beer at one point, you might come back and have a craving later. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, tastes change, and and uh, you can learn to to, for lack of a better phrase, you can learn to like something. Uh, if you have it enough, maybe switch will just happen. You'll you'll want that that uh, taste. Yeah, definitely. That happened with me and whiskey, big time. Yeah. Yeah, used to used to hate it, and the only thing I, I knew of was Jack Daniels, and then a little trip up the Bourbon Trail. The Bourbon Trail, yeah, that was uh, fun. Even, even after that, I only liked Maker's Mark. To be honest, Ben, after all those stops we did, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Maker's Mark was the only good one. Now that's my least. That was my favorite too. That's actually my least favorite these days. I think it. I, I still like Maker's Mark. It's that was like my first whiskey I liked, but it's definitely not my favorite anymore. Hmm. It lacks. It lacks the. I, I find that in brewing and in you know whiskey making rye rye is a secret magic ingredient that adds like mm. 10 layers it's like oh, it's kfc and their however many spices you know rye is like that component where it just it adds huh. edge it adds that little bit that pushes you little, off little, the cliff little nice uh, spice yeah. little nice make, spice makes just, sense it why lifts it ever so slightly makes sense or a lot why, uh, <laughs> depending on how much rye, rye ipa there. would be so good then yeah or like so much more intense than like a normal IPA if they're using rye in it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get to a couple beers, I think. No, just one beer. No. Yeah, just one beer that has has rye in it from us that you have. Okay, cool. So. Interesting. Interesting. Let, well, um, let's move on to the laissez-faire. And as we're pouring that, um, you, you mentioned you were Cicerone. Um well, yeah, I'm interested about this, and too. we are very interested about that because it's like, like you said, it's it's like the beer equivalent of a sommelier. Uh, you have to go through a, a, I believe it's, and I'm not an expert, I haven't taken this, but I believe you have to go through a written and a taste test. Correct, Ben? Yeah, there's uh, three parts to it. There's written tests, 
there's a demonstration and then there is a last I took it, it was a 12 beer taste test that was a uh, certain amount of these have off flavors, which ones are those? And then mm. what styles are these beers? And if you get less than, I think it's, if you get too wrong, you fail the entire, exi- the Ooh, whole wow. thing. So the That's taste intense. test happens at the end of the day and you can retake the taste test. Um, okay. Like if you nail the other two, you can retake it. But if you fail the taste test, you do not progress. So, wow. dang. I mean, I guess that is kind of the most important part, right? Like you can have yeah. all the knowledge, but if you can't like taste a beer and figure out what it is and I, what's wrong with it, then I think noting off tastes seems more difficult than naming styles. It does seem like that would be really difficult. Yeah, you know it. It depends. It, it they. You know, at this level, they use beers where it's fairly apparent, but, you know, the skill really needs nurtured as you progress onwards because, you know, I see the rubber meet the road every day where our brewmaster is kind enough to ask for my opinion as a second opinion on everything that we do and pulling it out of the tank. And you have to be able to look at, does this have diastasis? Does this have, uh, you know, did the, was the yeast under strain? when it was being brewed because the tank wasn't the right temperature or the ambient temperature Mm. around it and so forth and so on all because you don't want some consumer having the wrong impression of a beer or to create a fundamentally flawed product. So our policy is the moment that we don't want to put a product out because the yeast was under stress and created an off flavor or, you know, there was too much oxygen that slipped in during canning or at some point in the process, that's going straight down the drain because yeah, uh, yeah. we want to elevate the the craft beer scene and, and also put out a good product that we feel is worth your money. And I think if yeah, definitely. you would not believe the shit that I have seen brewers do and heard of, really? but the personal witness of, hey, you know, um, here's our lager. Cool. How long has it been lagering for? Uh, one week and we're going to put it out tomorrow. It's like, that's, Dang. that is like a disservice to the consumer <laughs> the in the everywhere. industry. Yeah, yeah. There's I, and people just, their cleanliness is not up to speed. Like our, our head brewer, Lauren, she is so adamant and militant about cleanliness and process and, and everything mm. you have to be. I mean, we're dealing yeah, with microbiology, but everyone, there not everyone is that way. And Brewers and breweries are like chefs and restaurants where everyone has a different thing. And, you know, Gordon Ramsay might walk into some brewery and start throwing shit around. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that because I almost do all the time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So identifying off flavors is really important because you don't want to put out a product or you want to know what the uh, what your equipment is doing. You know, yeah, right. Uh, but also like like a sommelier, now that you're a Cicerone, say you're uh, at the brewery one day and someone doesn't know what to have you can you can sit down with that person and kind of figure out what they like to taste and you can give them a beer and say look for look for these notes or yeah. this this will pair well with this or this is going to challenge you this way um, if you look at the beer differently than you're thinking of it you can you can kind of help someone and guide them on their their journey of tasting yeah, absolutely i think you know i i think in the there's this really traditional uh animosity between wine and beer and it's hmm. for various reasons, but I think like people see wine and it's kind of established that way because beer was always like a peasant product and the yeah. Greek philosophers would drink wine and then, you know, all high and mighty, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a historic divide. Um, but I make the argument and I put my 
flag in the ground right now. I mean, wine has a lot of diversity to it where you can have skin contact only wines, you can introduce yeast, you can so forth and so on. There's Mm -hmm. the varietals, there's the terroir of the growing season. But beer just is so much more dynamic and also more impressive. And so, you know, I always say my job is to take beer, non-beer drinkers and to make them beer drinkers. And if you Mm. put me in a, a bottle shop with pretty much any product that I can think of, I can ask somebody three questions, you know, tell me three drinks you do like, or some, you know, do you like Snickers? Mm. Do you like Reese's cups? You know, asking some sensory questions guarantee you I could get somebody to taste a beer and they'll say, huh, I didn't know beer tastes that way <laughs> and convert that's, that's them. A, uh, yeah. It's an think, impressive skill to have. Yeah. I think that is like a general problem and gen- like generally like the previous generation, you know, wanted that really cheap crappy beer that they could just drink and like drink a crap ton of them. And it, it would, that would be what they wanted. But now like yeah. as I guess like the, Maybe it's because of the internet. We know about all these styles now. Like people want more culture in their beer and want more diversity in the in the flavors. And like that's just the way people are trending in general. Like we're getting away from like the old way of drinking beer. Yeah. And at yeah. least in America, in America anyway. Yeah. I mean, the past fifteen years has been a boom of craft beer. Yeah. yeah. People people are learning about all kinds of different things other than lagers and stouts. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a strange thing that happened. I mean, like American craft beer and actually Iron City by Pittsburgh Brewing Company is said, and they, there's a lot of claims they are hard to verify, Iron said City. to be said to be like the first example of like a, a stateside lager with, you know, German immigrants coming over and trying to create mm-hmm. what they found at home. And like the whole history of American adjunct lager is really interesting because the ingredients here were different. And so, in mm-hmm. order to create a uh, you know a product with clarity, they used six row and or they used six row and corn because they didn't have access to two row. So mm. corn as an adjunct lightened the experience of it because six row is not desirable to use at all. Um, and so it lightened the the clarity of it. It lightened the experience of it. And suddenly, little, you've invented a, a style, a sweetness. Yeah, and definitely. And, if you're adding corn to it, for sure. And, you know, you, you compare a American adjunct lager to a German lager and they're, I'm going to pick the German lager every single time. Yeah, for sure. Um, Same here. There's a, there's a local brewery here called Nashville Brewing Company that brews, I think one of the best lagers I've ever had. And they're, they do like German style brewing. hundred percent. Mostly lagers. Yeah. Yeah. Like lagers or ambers or like they had a, normally a seasonal as well. I don't know if they do any ales. I think all lagers, but it, the, they traditional traditionally do the German style, which is kind of fun to have have all those ones out there. Yeah, absolutely, and it's you know you'll see with you know a couple beers down or the next beer actually. Yeah, um, there was some innovation. Right um, there was some innovation pre-prohibition, and then prohibition came, and everybody who was small closed, kind of like a a pan, you know the equivalent of the pandemic, except the difference with our pandemic and, you know, pre, you know, prohibition as a different kind of pandemic, in my opinion, I'm going to put out a controversial statement. (laughs) Um, You know, the pro pro post prohibition innovation had been destroyed. And so who came out was the big dogs who absorbed, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone looks at acquisitions and beer these days with like this, 
really weird perspective of like, wow, that sucks. That's so Mm. strange. That's so whatever. But like during, you know, pre and post prohibition, big breweries bought small breweries and they've always done that. Like history Mm -hmm. always repeats itself and people are always the same in terms of behaviors. But Mm. what happens is, is innovation usually goes by the wayside for macro products. And so prohibition is actually the reason that American adjunct loggers became very prominent in my opinion. And so, you know, there were different kinds of beers that were emerging like anchor steam in California and and other innovative products, but they just kind of died because they had, Mm. they had no choice but to die. Uh, Literally man. Curse prohibition. Curses. It was repealed. Eventually. Eventually. Think about all the time lost. Anyway, the next beer we are trying is called laissez-faire and it says it is a wit beer with notes of honey, orange zest, and coriander. And this is mm. not a resurrection series. So it's not, it's yeah. just a wit beer. It's just your take on a, a necromancer's take on a wit beer. Yeah. And sort of like the context there, like, I think there, there's probably only, again, like if you radius out from like resurrection styles and start doing like our strategy kind of starts with those and we, we branch out. Um, in Pittsburgh specifically, I've only seen one wit beer made and like since we started making one. Um, Allagash mm. White is a, a famous product and kudos mm. to those guys for really saying this is our flagship, our flagship beer. It's a, a wit beer. So there was like only one brewery we saw in Pittsburgh that was still standing that was making a wit beer. It was a mm. seasonal product. For us, this is a flagship product. And it's really funny. Really nice. We take this product to places in the market in Pittsburgh. And this is the one that like new accounts pick all the time because they haven't mm. seen one locally and they need one and it fills this gap in their their beer approach. Uh, and also whenever we go to like events where we're the beer vendor or we give beer for an event, like we were at the um, the drive-in for there's this like local beer cinema place. They did oh, cool. a, a drive-in movie series. The first mm. beer to sell out was the Belgian wit beer. So it's like wow. nice. It's this dark horse product that's, yeah. you know, sometimes you try to be strategic and then you see what people like. This is a product that everybody just yanks on and we just can't mm. make enough of it, which is very surprising. Yeah, it is. Because I, I feel well, like after the, tasting it, I'm not surprised. I, mean, I like it as well. <laughs> I like it as well. But I feel like generally when I talk to people about beer, they're not generally fans of the Belgian style, like the yeast like flavor, mm. like mm-hmm. the spice flavors that come with it. Along yeah. with the Belgian style, um, yeah, it does have. Does, I do get those notes, and the coriander is in there for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always have coriander in my kitchen, and I like to just go and smell it periodically because <laughs> I, I, I very smells, rarely yeah. do I cook with it, but I, I just love the smell of coriander. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a really re- like refreshing in beer. I know it's in hot dogs and a lot of other things too, but yeah. uh, um, <laughs> it's. Very, very nice in this. It's it's a, a nice light beer. It's re- really crisp, refreshing. Yeah. Side, uh, side note for those interested, it is 16 IBUs and 5.5%. Yeah, it's so a it's a crushing and pretty yeah, yeah pretty light, pretty easy drinking. Which it is really easy drinking. Yeah, it's nice. It's my favorite beer. I think one of my favorite. I mean, I have so many favorite beers, but that's like I was about to say. Didn't you just top, say that about the bones beer as well? Yeah. Singular. <laughs> it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's got those esters that you expect from a Belgian beer, but it's mm-hmm. not a chore to get through. I, I think that's like 
a lot of times whenever you make a Belgian wit beer, the yeast is either too prominent with the flavors it puts out or it's too like I, I, I describe, you know, leftover residual sugar in a beer is like being wet. So mm. if a beer is not well attenuated, attenuate, attenuated enough, <laughs> try saying that one three times fast at 11 a.m. Um, if a beer isn't in its, you know, if it's not dry enough, I call it sopping wet. So mm. that's just my term. I just use it. So I find that Belgian wit beers are often because you're using malted and unmalted wheat, which is a product that puts out a lot of interesting mouthfeel and things of that nature. You can tend to go sopping wet, but you want it like mm. you don't want it bone dry, but you don't want it sopping wet. You want it somewhere in the middle there. And so you're creating this juicy, but refreshing, never a chore to get through experience where yeah. you could sit down and have five of those. Uh, that's the goal. So that, that's like, yeah. that's like where the balancing comes in or like the, uh, mm-hmm. um, like the body of the beer comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would be interested to try one that you believe is sopping wet alongside like this one to kind of tell the difference to understand what you mean by sopping wet. Yeah, <laughs> you guess. haven't. And it's just like borderline sweet but also just kind of like syrupy like heavy i mean i've i've had style beers mm-hmm. that that fit what you're describing the, that yeast the whatever that flavor that the belgian yeast does it's just kind of like big and there's a there's definitely a sweetness and a thickness to it oh, okay yeah it's mm. like if you feel like you could only have one of that beer and you're like i need to move on typically if that beer you're drinking is a belgian wit beer and you have that impression of it because it's sopping wet, it's you know there's too much residual sugar in it, or something huh. wrong with the way the body comes out, or it's too uh, has too much ester from from the yeast. Because that you want to be careful with that. Yeah, this is a beer that you should want another one of, and I think if you failed to do the style well, you don't want another one. You want something else. I feel like I feel like that's actually a really good way to think about the balance of a beer. Is if you want another one afterwards, like then, like that's a, a good beer, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I don't know. Yes I guess and no. It depends yeah, on the, yes situ- no, the occasion sure. too. Like if you're uh, brewing a huge stout, then yeah, obviously, if, if I'm having a massive like imperial stout on a cold winter day, probably not going to want two of those. I just want to have one and enjoy it, and then be done. But for for something like the the laissez faire, the Belgian wit, that's it's it's not designed to be something that like, like a big punch in the face high True. alcohol drinking beer it's it's meant to be a like a, something refreshing yeah that you, you, concession and yeah uh, i think you nailed the style on this one ben well thank you yeah i like kudos it. to our head brewer lauren for yeah, nailing say, uh, do you want to um okay you just said her uh is that your only brewer or do you have other brewers there as well she's the the head brewer we have a uh a, sell, a bunch of cellaring people on the team that also double as front of house because we're very in startup mode um okay. But we have somebody who's like Lauren's assistant who's being trained on the brew deck right now. Uh, okay. We, you know, eventually we'll need it. Uh, but Lauren's hustling. She brews three times a week at least. And so we're releasing two to three products a week, which is okay. pretty astounding. Um, two to three of like your current beers that you already normally brew? Depends. It's kind of a, a variable mix. Sometimes it's a beer we've already made. Uh, sometimes it's a, a new one. And so we're, we're kind of tightening up our strategy going into 2022 of what do we want to make again and what do we want to make new and what's the category strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And Lauren came from Pen- 
Penn Brewery, is that right? Yeah, she was at Penn and before that, Hitchhiker and before that, Hop Farm oh, wow. and before that, um, Sun King, because she's originally... Never heard of Sun King or Hop Farm, but I know Hitchhiker. But yeah, I think like to the other earlier point, because I think it's important. Um, yeah, style, style-wise, you know, Belgian wit, I'd argue, you should want a second one unless mm. you've already had 10 of something else. But like, for example, like, like the Prairie Bomb series... I could have oh. a single one of those, but I don't want another one, and that's okay because yeah, that and is it's, yeah. a fantastic beer. Yeah. It's meant it's meant to be over the top. It's yeah. it's literally a bomb. Yeah. Mm. Like without one, being literal. Uh, yeah. Um, but one thing that is pretty consistent uh throughout all of these beers that we're gonna be trying is the the branding that mm. you guys do, in my opinion. I think uh you guys have nailed it. Um in terms well, of like you. how how the packaging looks. Um, even just the font that you chose for font, Necromancer, like the color palette, color palette. I personally love the color palette, it's like, like silver, nice, black and like purple, a, like a, almost yeah, like right. a it's silver and purple, but it's really, really kind of nice. Yeah. And it's, it's consistent across uh, the packaging. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Like, so the top hat, the agency that we were talking about earlier does all the work. Um, the word mark itself was actually hand drawn by somebody we work with often named Daniel oh. Gerwin. He did awesome. like, so he did that by hand. That's handmade. Um, oh, sweet. Cause I'm not a big believer in like word marks that are a, a font you can buy and manipulate. Mm. Um, mm. But it's, it's a really funny story with like, with all this art, like going into it, even Aaron was like, are you sure you want it to be just black and purple and white? And so like, <laughs> like he's yeah, like, are you sure? It looks, it looks really cool. I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, man. And it's like, it's created this billboard effect where you see us on the shelf, you know, in bottle shops or yeah, exactly. the four packs and you're like, that's necromancer. Yeah. yeah you don't exactly. have to read yep. what the beer it is. If you just have a wall of, of beer or, or on a shelf anywhere, it'll just catch your corner. Your eye. You'll see the purple. And you'll know exactly yeah. that that's yeah. necromancer. It's funny because you know, there, we don't, there's no like out of box approach we have with clients. It's based on their personality and their story and where they've been and where they're trying to go. But anytime we've tried to sell like a single color palette approach, they mm. always chicken out because what happens is, is like distributors and wholesalers are very pessimistic, negative people. And they're like, <laughs> nobody's going to know what the product is, man. Mm. It's all the same color. And sure enough, like, I, the, I feel like it, it, in ways it's, it is limiting because you, you can't put out a, a can that's bright red and yellow yeah. Um, but it's it's really yeah, smart you, marketing and branding. You don't want to be DHL. Yeah. yeah. Like it's <laughs> I mean it's 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 a big choice you'd have to make, but uh I I, yeah. I think it was a good choice. But I feel Thanks. like I feel like it's definitely different for the craft beer industry, right? Because people who like craft beer um are fairly uh like loyal to a brewery. You know, like if they like stone, like they'll probably try something from stone. So like the fact that you made necromancer like these cans like so recognizable, I feel like adds to that loyalty that someone might have for a brewery. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah. I feel like it has a huge part to play in in whether or not a craft beer drinker likes your brewery. Yeah, it it's kind of it's an interesting dynamic for sure. I think there's a lot to be said with it and I agree at that point like the biggest tussle that I get into with with beer clients is does a client walk into or does the customer walk into a store 
with you on their short list of top 10? If the answer is no, oftentimes they're not even going to look at you or pick up the product. Like, And the, the thing that I think is overweighted in beer is, oh, the artwork's cool. I'm going to buy it. Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I no, think it helps. A bit. It helps a, a lot. Of people might think that way, but... It, a seasoned craft beer drinker is not going to think that way. Yeah, it, it helps a bit. I mean, if you see a Prairie Bomb, you're going to be like, that's really cool and awesome and different bottle size. Then you read it, you're like, yeah, I want that. But mm-hmm. I think like a lot of what you do is like, can has somebody heard of my brewery and heard that it was good? So yeah. the moment you start putting out product that's bad, oh, I've heard of them. I recognize them. Yeah, I see them. But then what happens after that? Do they say, yeah, I heard they're good. I'm going to get one because I see them. Or have I heard they're not good, so I'm not. So if somebody doesn't walk in with some sort of message in their mind, and by the time you hit the retail shelf, you should have done some work either in your tap room or distribution or advocacy Mm -hmm. or marketing or advertising Mm -hmm. that creates that. But the product is key because you can have this brand presence and you should. And if somebody has heard of it outside of those bounds, they're going for you because they see you. But if they see you and they turn away, it's because you have bad products. So I think like mm, yeah. branding is obviously the last differentiator besides good product. It's very important, but it's not the end all be all of getting somebody who heard you sucked to pick up yeah. your product. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Quality of the product is always the number one. Yeah. Um, and which brings us to the next, next product. Next beer. Yeah. Uh, so this beer is called Square Dancing. Is a dark cream ale, and this is the Re- Resurrection Series number one. Yeah, uh, Kentucky Common Ale coming in at four point five percent and twenty five IBUs. And before you go into it, Ben, cream ale is always when I was getting into craft beer. Uh, the first time I saw cream ale, I was thinking, "Oh, it's just going to be this sweet, creamy, delicious thing," and it's not at all what it is. Um, I, I kind of learned over time that cream ale is almost the ale's version of a lager. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And for, for people who aren't 100% sure what I'm talking about, there's technically two styles of beer. There's ales and lagers. That's the two categories. Yep. Um, lagers have a whole bunch of different styles. Ales have a whole bunch of different styles. But the, the cream ale is a ale that's uh, almost like their version of a lager. You want to give yeah. the two diff- the two key different or not the two key differentiating factors, but the differentiate differentiating factors of like the difference between lager and ale. Just real quick for people who don't know. Yeah. Oh man, where do I begin? I'll give a quick little make you sound smart statement here, so people right. can can walk the away. Best. <laughs> so, remember how I was mentioning that wine is inferior to beer? I think one of the reasons is is man's impact on beer. So. Back in the day, there was only one kind of yeast. It was ale. And due to cold, constant cold temperature beer making, the lager strain emerged as a mutation and now is its oh. own thing. And you start wow. to see, you know, the yeasts are changing all the time. So uh, lagers are, you know, cold beers. If you don't, uh, you know, if you use a lager yeast in a beer and you don't keep it cold enough, and store it long enough, it's going to taste like shit. Ales yeah. can ferment higher, higher temperatures. Um, the the kind of the, the biggest difference I think is that lagers have that crispity, clean flavor profile, mm-hmm. and yeah. ales every ale yeast and there's tons of them. Every single strain 
puts off a different flavor. And because it's at a warmer temperature, typically there are exceptions. It is putting off fruit or, you know, esters mm. or things of that nature. So like laissez-faire is an, an ale. Uh, and yeah. the one before that was also an ale. And you can taste like that impression of, you know, what those beers are. So the biggest mm. difference is, you know, lagers are cold. They're crisp and clean because of that. They're meant to be fermented cold. Ales are meant to be fermented at warmer temperatures, and they can mm. contribute fruity flavors and and all sorts of complicated things. That's pretty much it. And um, that just pretty much like had has to do with the areas that they were originally brewed in, I would assume. Yep. Yeah. Historic. Like, Historic I mean, factors, people yeah. back in the day didn't have like refrigerating and yeah. air conditioning and all that other stuff that we enjoy today. You just ferment you know? and store something in your cellar and uh, see how it goes. So someone who was able to brew a lager like would naturally have to live in a colder climate back then. Yeah. As an ale would be. They weren't trying to make a lager. They're just like, right. they were just I'm going to beer. I'm just going to throw in beer. beer. Yeah. For, you know, for whenever I need it. And it, beer was very accidental. Now it's very intentional if you do it right. But like the impact of man is really interesting inadvertently and advertently. Um, you know, for example, like there's a style we're releasing next week called Beer de Guard. It's a French Beer de Guard, yeah. stellar mm. beer. Uh, basically, it's if you took a, a, a um, farmhouse and you cold cellared it for long enough. So basically like a farmhouse can be really funky and fun and, mm-hmm. you know, all this sort of stuff. But anytime you make something colder kind of tamps down flavors and eventually like there is, there is a yeast for beer to guard now. And I would argue that that mm-hmm. is because of man's consistent making of that style, the way that they did in the cold. So mm-hmm. beer is just, I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's a, there's, there's a lot of cornucopia of information mm-hmm. that I had no idea existed. You know? Oh Yes. But anyway, back to the cream ale. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to say about it before we try it? Yeah. Any no. notes to look it for? It does say or? dark cream ale in the can, but True. the the resurrection style that you mentioned is the Kentucky Common. Kentucky Common ale. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like one of those examples I provided earlier, where this is a pre-prohibition beer from Louisville, Kentucky. A lot of people think, oh, it's a Kentucky blah blah blah. Is it barrel aged? Is it this? Is that? No, it's basically this amber ale style that was amberish ale style that was made in louisville kentucky um your to your point about cream ales were like an ale equivalent of a lager that's what they were going for they were trying to do that Mm. and so this beer comes off like a lager it's you know this is a beer that you know if somebody comes in a necromancer and says i only drink yingling what do you have i give them this because this is like an elevated elevated flavor it does have flake maize yingling is yingling is basically you know again it's an adjunct lager it has corn in it it has caramel mm-hmm. malt etc this has flake maize because that is a pre-prohibition trick uh but this style i mean you drink it what and you're flake, like what is flake Man. maize a certain type just of corn? corn okay yeah it's like a, a a corn variety product a lot of macro brewers use uh corn syrup we use flaked maize which is a a non Macro uh, use corn syrup in their beer. Oh I, my god! They would never tell you that, but they do. Holy crap! That's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Which, if somebody drinks beer and says this tastes like beer, it's most likely because there's flaked maize or corn mm. in the beer. Has that beer taste? Yeah. I'm getting. I mean, I'm getting a beer taste. I get. Uh, you I'm said there's, a lot there's of caramel malts in there. Uh, I definitely get that. It, it does have mm. that. I don't want to say dark 
taste because it doesn't it's not like dark like a stout or, or a porter but it, it does have a, a caramely um nice just multi flavor to it it's really really yeah. solid biscuity caramel yep. yeah definitely um, biscuity. there's a little bit of rye in that one i think i think it's almost more like a like an english biscuit like a not like a not like a big fat like southern biscuit with butter all over it but like a like a really bready kind of like mm-hmm. crispy biscuit is what i'm getting well, I think, off of this i think in isn't it in england where they they call cookies biscuits or am i making that up no they it's have biscuits. the same thing it's the same thing yeah biscuits. i think biscuit I, biscuits. Yeah, I mean like the, the biscuity biscuits. i just i just don't want people to think Lip of an biscuit. american biscuit where it's like <laughs> just full of butter and like probably has gravy on it you know it's not that right biscuit snappy flavor profile yeah go watch the british baking show if if you're listening and have no (laughs) idea what we're talking about you need educated it's a uh cheer in your life there's um what's the flavor on like the the very back end of the palate it's like right at the end it's almost like a butterscotch or like toffee type flavor right at the end. yeah anytime you get those flavors those are from the malt so Mm. that's just the unique malt bill and i i think that's a a great product that was really really good first beer we came out with and we were fortunate enough to have a friend in the industry dancing gnome who is a very reputable brewery in pittsburgh they helped us get started by collabing with us to release a beer in our artwork so they released our beer for us in collaboration and it was very nice very yeah with our artwork was that that a big deal like you really like like enunciated that well with our artwork like is that a huge deal for you guys. Well, yeah, because yeah, Dancing Gnomes like, is a is an established brewery in Pittsburgh. It's really established. So to, okay, to wow. do a collaboration and, and have your artwork kind of put you out in the market and be recognizable. Yeah. So that's like a huge compliment to oh, yeah. it what was, you guys have done. Yeah. They had huge. no reason to do it for us, and they did, uh-huh. and it was yeah, very wow. very generous that they did that's, that. That's awesome. I've I've seen plenty of collaborations where one brewery will will have their thing, and then there'll be some brewery I've never heard of that collabs with them and their name will be small on the, mm-hmm. the bottom or on the back somewhere. And I'll be like, Oh, uh, it's some different brewery I've never heard of. And then I probably will never think of them again because yeah. it's not, has no real artwork from them. It's just the, the main brewery's artwork. Yeah. So that's, that's huge. Yeah. It was, again, it was, they had no reason to do it. It was very generous. They, how recently was this? Was it like fairly this recently? Was, we opened our doors it, in May. They oh, that, did that's it in. That's a good point. Yeah, you opened this year, right? Yeah, they did it in like. I feel like it was like the year before, the, the fall before, because it took us a long time to get open. It was, it was like November or December even of the the prior year from of last year but it got mm-hmm. us on a lot of people's radars because it was a, a pretty strong endorsement so again very that's, uh, yeah, that's huge. Say so very generous for anyone, for anyone in the Pittsburgh area like they know who drinks craft beer like they know uh dancing now is what it was right oh absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. hopefully they now mm-hmm. know us Boom! Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I've, I've I've had some dancing gnome stuff in Pittsburgh, but they've they've actually done a collaboration with uh, a brewery in, in Nashville, which I thought was odd. And cool. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how they that. got the connection there, but uh, they did it cool. with it was Bearded Iris. Right? Bearded Iris mm. for anyone listening, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Nashville brewery. Um, but yeah, you guys opened up at a very <laughs> difficult time to open a business. Yes a business where people need to go and drink libations i mean definitely during the the uh, pandemic libations were had all around yeah Um, sales (laughs) went up big time but yeah it was mainly at home and you're you're starting a business where you want to open a tap room 
um, obviously you can package package and sell beer, but uh, coronavirus was had to be difficult. Did you start this up before uh, March of 2020? Did you get the ball rolling? Yeah, it was it was right in the middle of the pandemic. I saw it as a an opportunity where I thought that not as many people would be on the ball and going after it. And sure enough, in Pittsburgh, there was more openings after us and before us. Um, so I guess everyone had the same idea. All right, you know, it mm-hmm. was it it was interesting. I, I think like if you open a brewery constructed around the the pandemic and and how that is i think that pretty much gets you ready for whatever happens so the first piece of equipment we actually bought was a canning line because we knew Mm. we were going to be doing to go so sure enough you know we have built a system where we can package products we prioritize packaging products the amount of product leaving our facility both for distribution and consumers walking away is 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 a lot because somebody has a beer they probably want to take it home so it's mm-hmm. it's all part of the strategy. So when we opened, it was just a big open, big open room with a sales counter, and you'd get a four pack and you would leave, and then you know restrictions started lifting and things were getting better and mm-hmm. so forth. And we're like, all right, now we need to open a tap room. And I feel like we've really just finally hit our groove where the ambiance is right, the crowd mm-hmm. knows we're there, they know they can come drink. We have draft, we have this, we have that. So we kind of went opposite because I think, hmm. I don't know. I, I think very differently. And I, I think our strategy as a brewery is very different where uh, distribution is, is a stabilizer. It's a marketing technique. It's a relationship builder, uh, so forth and so on. So it's very important to our strategy to package and get product out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of re- like you said, different and reverse of what, what you'd expect a brewery to do when opening. Yeah. yeah. You, you think people would, would want to come there first try your beer and then they'd buy it like outside of the brewery or at the brewery and then leave after they've had a few beers or something like that. Yeah. But plenty of breweries I follow would, uh, even before they had a tap room, their, their main thing was, was distributing just kegs to, yep. to local places oh, wow, and doing yeah, tasting true. events, um, doing beer fests. Yeah. And then they'll open a tap room. Um, and then it'll be long before they even have packaging to go. So mm. you yep. guys, through the opposite way yeah which through the pandemic worked really well yeah and it's you know i think it's part of the reason i would uh attribute you know attribute our rapid awareness growth where people more and more people know about us and Mm -hmm. it's because i mean um, people can't always go to a tap room so distributing in local local areas because pittsburgh is a very segmented market in terms of like how many tunnels and bridges do i need to go uh, to get to the place. <laughs> and so people in the South Hills rarely short of like an event will come up and people from too far North or West or East or whatever, you know, so being in those, like somebody from Swickley is probably not going to come to North Hills, Babcock Boulevard, but we're in a distributor up there never and they get up right there. Never <laughs> say never, but True. it's maybe for volume creation. It's, you know, you want to be where people are. And so that's, been part of yeah. our strategy of getting out there with packaged products like pretty much yeah. day one yeah um so you guys are like going and like doing your own like trying to secure like tasting times at like liquor stores or well not liquor stores in pittsburgh but uh beer distributors or anything like that or are you just trying to yeah it's you know we market online we kind of right time right place right people where 
we don't we haven't done we've probably done one tasting but it was a favor mm-hmm. um the reps and the people who pick up our product are really excited and approach like pretty much everyone that i have distributed to has approached us at you know up until this wow. point and so when they get the product they're like excited because of the you know the reputation that we created and hit mm-hmm. lucky because not everyone has seen as like exciting um mm-hmm. where they pitch the product themselves and so we've probably done like one tasting and that's it wow you know that's and, impressive and i know i i it's been a few years since i've i've uh, seen the changes in liquor laws in pennsylvania but they are vastly different than the majority of the country i can say that and yes. so i know um they've they've changed them and they've eased up a little bit but i know that there aren't uh liquor stores that are private i believe the state runs all the liquor yeah. stores uh, so it's pretty crazy more difficult than tennessee i'd say so, we've, we've got yeah. all kind of stuff tasting events all over the place at liquor stores and and um different for you guys but i'm i'm hoping yeah hoping that the pennsylvania will will get on trend with the rest Hopefully, of the country yeah. and, and do some more easing so how do you guys um so you're able to sell your own beer at your mm-hmm. own place yep and that doesn't affect like that doesn't matter with the liquor laws there it's um P in every I learned this through working with different breweries in different places. Like in Florida, you can't self-distribute any product. You need a distributor. Last time that we worked with someone down there, which is like, oh, that sucks. Georgia's the same way too. Yeah, the the like the laws everywhere are a little really strange. Like Texas had even Texas, the great free country of Texas. <laughs> um you couldn't I think it was you couldn't buy beer in a brewery and then leave. Or some something like really wacky, and they finally got that repealed. Um, you couldn't get like a growler. It was like something really dumb. Odd. Mm. Um, PA, I will say, is you know we've had a pretty easy time, and the people who've worked for the enforcement agencies have been very educational, very friendly, very understanding, mm. and PA is like the best possible situation. I think it's. You can self-distribute up to 30,000 barrels. So, you know. That's a lot of barrels. <laughs> yeah, your average brewery, your average brewery in Pittsburgh, like Pittsburgh Brewing is 100,000 plus. They're huge. Um, everyone else is probably between, you know, 500 barrels and yeah, 4,000 barrels. There's mm-hmm. no, There's no one really going beyond that at this point. So... You can self-distribute for a long time and sell yeah. it on premise. Also, as part of your brewer's license, you can mm-hmm. sell PA-made spirits and wines huh. and nice. pretty much have like a full bar if you want to. Um, so I will say PA in terms of everything that I just mentioned when it comes to like opening a brewery and what you can do for not a lot of money, you can do a lot. And it's yeah. pretty well for, for what you guys are doing. It's great. I'm very, I mean, it's, it's a great situation for small business. So I'm, you yeah, know, that's awesome. I got to give kudos cute. to the way, you know, at least the way the right, breweries are set up. up there, yeah. Uh, um, next beer to nightlight nightlight, yes. a mysteriously drinkable. Is that what it says? Yeah. A mysteriously drinkable black lager, uh, coming in at 5.4% and 20 IBUs. For a black mm. lager, what what uh, what do you guys do? Is it just like uh, 
darker malts? Did you yeah. roast them longer? Chocolate malts? What do you, what do so, you got here? So, uh, the, the, this is like, again, like if you start with resurrections and kind of like radius out, this is a more very traditional German style that you don't see a lot. It's called Schwartz beer, just literally just means black beer. And mm, so, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. stimmt. Yeah. <laughs> um, stimmt, yeah. <laughs> basically, this beer is, um, you know, it's lagered unrelentingly. This was when we released this, it had been lagered for seven weeks. We have wow. product that we're distributing. So if you keep it in kegs in your, your fridge, it continues to lager further. So we have some on the market that's like 10, 11 weeks um, mm. lagered and just gets better and better and better. Um, this is, you know, malt forward. It's balanced yeah. by a snappy, like noble hop bitterness. So it's not cloyingly sweet, but it is like the malt character of this beer is particularly of interest there should be a little a little bit of roast to it. And so mm. the biggest argument we get into with brewers is like, it's not roasty enough. But in my <laughs> opinion, if anything, it could be less roasty in that mm. argument. I think it's the perfect level of roast for the style. Yeah, um, it's, it's not, not it's a, a stout. It's, yeah, it's not a stout. It's no. not supposed to be a, a roast fest up in here. Mm -hmm. We, uh, we have in Comedy Central roasts. <laughs> we have a term. Boom, roasted. Uh, we have a term. <laughs> we, we use the term roasty malty. Roasty Maltese to describe how well a uh, a darker beer, or like a stout, or like a black lager, or a brown ale, like how well those notes come through. And if it's really good, Roasty Maltese, then it's good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely there. But it's like like, like you said, Ben. Yeah, I, I don't balanced. think. I, I I think it's right in the pocket. Um, yeah. I don't think you need more. I don't think you need yeah. less. Um, yeah. I think it's probably the sweetest beer out of the four we've had so far. But like you said, mm. not cloying. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe the last one that had the the caramel malts, a similar sweetness to that, but this one it's I think not, just yeah, punches but it's, it up not, a little it's bit. not like a uh, it's not that one wasn't like a milky sweetness, like yeah, like a, like a creamy sweetness. Yeah, this so, one is definitely that uh, different type of sweetness that you get from, I would assume, a beer that uses more malts. Yeah, I that. find with I find with like German lagers as they sort of like continue to lager. And so, like, if you would get a, tr a a German import product, you would find probably their Oktoberfest to be sweeter than an American brewer's. Okay, this and is interesting um, because a quick note: I work for a beer uh, beer distributor down here in mm -hmm. uh, Nashville, and so we got like all the you know the uh, Oktoberfest and whatnot. And a lot of the things that I didn't like about them is some of them were a little bit too mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a a certain je ne sais quoi. I'll say, um, okay, yeah, yeah. I find that is our Oktoberfest continued to lager. It did get sweeter. I think, you mm. know, the beer. Like again, you're dealing with lager. It's crisp. It's clean. The difference between Nightlight and Square Dancing, besides the fundamental style of what the beer is, Square Dancing has a little bit of wheat, a little bit of rye. This one does not. It's, you know, very crisp and clean with a little roast to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, as it continues to lager, it, it got a little tiny bit of sweetness. But again, there's that noble hop uh, backbone to, to round it out and keep it from getting cloying. You know, we mentioned on this, like balance in beer, you need to be a master of balance. And when you choose to mm -hmm. tip the scale, 
it should be intentionally. It's like you got to know the oh, rules absolutely. to break them. Mm, so this is a balanced, balanced, crushable, drinkable, enjoyable uh, beer. Again, another one that I would have multiple of. Yeah, and if you don't yeah, have that reaction, this is an this is another one of those beers where I've had examples of this style where I don't want another one, and it's because it's either too roasty or too sweet. Or so just a little bit too sweet. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've had ones where you get the uh, the color that you expect from a Schwartz beer, but zero roasty, mm. which is so mm. odd to me I, because that. You, it, it should go hand in hand. I um, agree. And it, the whole point of the Schwartz beer is the roast quality and, yeah. and certain brewers will. That's really good. I really like that one, Ben. I want, Oh, I appreciate no, that. <laughs> good job, Lauren. Uh, yes. Thank you. Lauren. Yes, thank you, that was Lauren. amazing. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of uh, brewers argue about Schwartz beer and fundamentally philosophically what it should be. I, I almost got, I almost got into a fist fight with one. He's like, Schwartz beer is the stout of Germany. And I'm like, that is the stupidest mm. thing I've ever heard I don't in think my that, life. I don't think that makes any sense. <laughs> I was like, that's yeah. so stupid. I hate that. Cause like stouts are like higher ABV and they're super roasty and you hear blah, the words blah, blah. coming out of your mouth, sir. <laughs> yeah. I, I was pretty it upset. Sounds like just sounds like ignorance right there. So as we move on to the last beer, let's do it. Um, the, the podcast right. is called American brews and tunes. <laughs> And, and so they we, say, we have interviewed a couple of breweries on here, and we always like to ask, do you have any musical aspect to your brewery? Um, and I think that the One Hop Wonder 100% has a musical aspect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I didn't have to look too hard to figure that out, and your yeah. website steered me in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, probably what we do for the next episode, if we have one, is give you all of our... Uh, Hazy IPAs, oh. which are very intentionally musical themed. Um, hmm. So I'm, I got some right here. I'm excited. I'll tell you the concept of of really the the hazy IPAs. The first one we ever did is called Any IPA Ever. Kind of any, a N-E. Any. Like Letters. any. You know, like it's yeah. they're all a, interchangeable. Like A-N-Y, yeah. but also N-E, like New England. Right. right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, the intent with this beer has more recently become that you know, we've this. We're on our seventh batch of that, which we think is like the winner, like flagship status. So of we're going to change the name of any oh, yeah. IPA ever. Yeah, okay. um, we're going to change the name to something permanent that's like less like, hey, this sounds like a you know they're not really trying that hard. And it's because we were experimenting hazies. We wanted to get it to be the top of class for juicy and and balanced mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But the artwork has this. Uh, I actually have one right here. It has this uh, broken record on it Big because we have a phone. Yep, I remember that one. Because mm-hmm. like hazies are like broken records. Like everybody makes them. Yeah. Now it's kind of you know this and that. So one hop wonder is basically take isolating one hop mm-hmm. and then writing a parody song, which is available on our website. Uh, the whole library oh, of it. Right. So we uh, Aaron writes. I assume. What's that? Necromancer.com, well, I assume? Yeah, or or the can, necromancer.beer. Is it on is the, it the, on link the beer? The is on the can okay. itself. Yeah, necromancer.beer well, well, backslash. A lot of can't buy this beer right now. So. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to it. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, we'll link it. We'll link, link that. it in the Link that. Yeah, so oh, Aaron writes all the parody. There are literal lyrics. There huh? are literal lyrics on the side of this can, Ben. I didn't yes. realize that. That's so, so Aaron cool. writes all the parodies. Um, so we take a one-hit wonder and parody it 
subbing it for the one hop. So this one, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that's Ida. Is that Idaho seven? Yep. Yeah. Just a trend. Just, just a trend. trend. Um, and they say it's just a trend. So yeah. we, uh, yeah. And then we have another series called a hop with no name, which uses experimental oh, wow. hops that literally are just a serial code. <laughs> just numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that's cheers. so cool. Fun. Yeah. Cheers. Oh, mm. I didn't smell it. I smell. Mm. I mean, it smells like a hazy. Yeah, it smells like a hazy. It smells juicy. Yeah. Very yeah. saturated market, and there is a lot of these out there. So I think it's interesting to kind of set it apart by doing single hop uh, variations to kind of give you something different to look for than just juice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I think like everything we try to do is highly strategic. So our flagship core hazy is a bouquet of several different hop varieties to create like a very orange driven flavor. Mm-hmm. The one hop wonder is just like, okay, if you're going to make a series of hazy IPAs, what are you going to do with it? And that was like, all right, one hop wonder. Ha ha. That's funny. And so mm-hmm. we're like, we're going to lean into that. A hop with no name. It used the shtick is we're going to use experimental hops. The most recent one we did tasted like, fresh strawberries because the experimental hop was so so wacky and then the one before that was like sweet rosemary or sweet yeah sweet rose it was like pretty odd pretty whack Um, uh, yeah those those seem like uh flavors i would not expect in a hazy ipa so just trying to do something different yeah i wouldn't expect like the strawberry notes it was that's pretty crazy i've never used that word to describe any beer that didn't have strawberries in it. So it's it's pretty whack, but you're just trying to keep it like the sad truth is that like, again, like we do resurrections, but we're trying to appeal to as many different flavor uh, palettes and flavor preferences that we possibly can. So a lot of people come in for the hazies. It's just the way it is. However, Mm. it's going to be that way forever. I think there's always pretty much crowd for it. Yeah. Yeah, But we try to upsell them too. Hey, yeah. and try I, this. I do like, I do like a, on this one, you do, I think, up the, the, the hot presence more than some of the hazy IPAs I've had out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like yours is clocking in at 40 IBUs, which yeah. is solid for a regular IPA. I've seen some hazy IPAs that are less like, than 10 IBUs, which is yeah. mind-boggling. Strange. Is there any hops in your beer at well, that point? I mean, the reason it seems strange is like, right, you think about an IPA, like the hops are what give it that bitterness the ibu like international bitter units or whatever yeah so if you're making a hazy like you still have to have hops in it to be an ipa to have those normal like classic hop flavors so yeah the breweries yeah. that where the ibu is a little bit low is maybe a little bit of a red flag yeah uh, it's think, mm, nothing against it because i've had ones that have super low ibus that i still enjoy yeah, um, yeah. but I, I like that you're keeping the hops punchy yeah, you got to I mean again, it's all about balance. I think we do not want a sugary juice water and Yeah, that just sounds terrible. I'll be honest with you, like our IPAs have come along, our hazy IPAs have come a long way. It was the thing that mm. we had to work the most on because we're so good at every other style is the way I like to say it, and we had to like actively mm. like experiment with this to get it the way that we wanted. Mm. Uh, but you know, I I'd say like, it's probably been the thing that for us, we've seen the most criticism on because of the bitter, the bitterness of it. But oh, really? everybody okay. forgets about like, if you would go get a heady topper, 
Hetty Topper mm-hmm. probably has more bitterness than our hazy IPAs. And that is seen as the greatest hazy IPA of all time. Yeah. That was so the people first one. F- and also it's you know, ours is hazy. There are milkier, hazier that exist, but like ours is like the same haze as the Alchemist beer. Um, Boom Mm -hmm. Sauce is another really famous hazy IPA. It's clearer than ours. So it's really funny whenever consumers come in and say your hazies are too, have too much bitterness at the end. When I feel like there's not a whole lot of bitter in this. Well, there's like, I, I, people like, are used to I'm the not sugar. Sure if you've water, had any, any weird ones, but I there's a lot so. of a lot of hazy IPAs I've had where they have lactose sugar, mm-hmm. and it's just it really it really creamy. changes the uh, like the whole thick, experience of that thick one. Thick like a milkshake almost. Yeah, yeah. Like, like IPAs too, though. But that's what they're going for in that. that yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's different, different it's thing. always funny because like again, like have you had a heady topper lately? Like ours is more traditional and classic and we've you know we want it to be balanced because you know anytime i have a beer that you know like and i it's still a still an ipa man like it should be juicy it should be cloudy it should be fruitful like if i had to define a new england ipa it's you can't really see through it so it's visually hazy it's Mm -hmm. aromatic with like really prominent fruit flavors the fruit flavors are on there but also it should have some bitter snap yeah, it should. It's in the name. It's, uh, it's just uh, a little hands bit. Down given. Yeah, you're not brewing orange juice here. You're brewing a beer. Right. So it's actually the thing like our, we see the, now we see the reviews on our hazies and people mm. are quite into them because we've innovated on those and experimented. And yeah. seventh batch of any was like, it was like a milestone where like, this is it. Like everybody who mm. likes a hazy is going to like this, but they're also going to go, huh. It has a little oh, bit of balance and backbone to it. A difference, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like my, I feel like the one of the reasons why I really dislike hazies and really just don't like drinking them anymore is because they become so one dimensional like that. Where like it is just here's a sweet creamy IPA, IPA, yeah. you know. And like I still like them. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, still, I'm not ashamed. Okay. okay, I mean they're still they still taste good. They don't taste bad. Yeah. I'm just bored. You're just, you're I'm bored, just with bored of them. Yeah. Like there is like that whole thing is boring. It's odd to be bored so, of it because it's such a new style in, in like relative <laughs> well, history of I mean of like the, the market just got so saturated it so did. quickly. It did. But like with this one though, with yours, uh with Necromancers, there is that little bit of hop that still comes through to keep it balanced, to keep those creamy notes and those really sweet notes in check. Yeah. So that's good. You'll You'll have to let Aaron know that I appreciate the the songs. I've, I listened to all of them. Ben. <laughs> he did a really good job, and he hired yeah. a guy on Fiverr who did an even better job at singing. Oh, hey, there Fiverr, you go. smart. Yeah, hey, so, Fiverr. Yeah, if you need, I, I tried some to music sing along. Made, that's a good place to go. Yeah, might have to hire one of you guys next time. It'd be fun. <laughs> we could do be that fun for to sure. do a little collaboration <laughs> on a song. Yeah. That'd be a good time. Well, Ben, I think every beer here. Uh, again, we didn't have one where it's going to be a, a, a big boozy uh, one and done beer. Every beer here is one where I could sit down. I'm not oh, saying yeah. that I'm going to drink a lot, but um, I, I could have four of them in a row and probably still want another. Heck yeah, uh, yeah man. These are, these like are great feel ones. I'm comfortable doing that. Um, I, I think they're really good. I, I think you, you haven't put yourself into a corner where these are seasonal beers. Um, like everyone always True. talks about like some wheat beers or wit beers. Where it's like, oh, this is 
great in summer, but if it's cold, I'm not so sure. I, I wouldn't say that about yours. I, I could have that year round. Hmm. Yeah, um, true. Vice versa, maybe for the, uh, the, the Schwartz beer, sometimes people yeah. think darker, roastier things for the winter only. I could enjoy this in the summer. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like it's, I think yeah. you've, you've kind of kept these as beers you can have year round, yeah. um, which is spot on. But if you want to create a seasonal beer, uh, something that's, that's a little bit more. You probably can. One direction. Go for it. Maybe, but I, maybe your seasonal beers are just the resurrection series. Maybe. Like that. Like you're not going to conform to all the other. Like this is a spring seasonal yeah. and this is a winter seasonal, you know, like. Yeah. And I did want to touch more upon the resurrection. Maybe we can do that if we ever do another podcast. But I because ha- I have. Yeah, I think round I think two would be good. Eight, eight different resurrection beers. I have them all listed here. Like what the heck is a grisette? Maybe we can talk about that next time. But uh, yeah. um, it's it's really, really a cool thing that you're doing. Yeah, um, bringing back these styles that your average beer drinkers never heard of. Um, I would consider Jesse and I not to toot our own horn, but I, I think we uh, we know, know a little, a little bit, little more beer. than the average beer drinker. Yeah. Uh, most of your resurrection things, I'd say probably about half of them I've <clears> never <throat> heard of. Before. Yeah, so that's so like very cool. I guess yeah, real quick. I guess uh, the ones we wrote down, the ones that I recognized were like the alt, like you did a, uh, the the Sticka alt. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what shticka means, but I, I know what an alt beer is. And like, generally I would feel like an American consumer probably doesn't know what an alt beer is. Um, I was really interested in the Adam beer. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. The, 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 the one that, that I thought sounded most interesting was the Pearl mainly because of the name. Yeah. But- oh yeah. The Pearl, the P U R L. Yeah. Like that, that one sounded really cool too. So if like- you're listening and you're hearing like, what's, what the heck is a Pearl? What's a grisette? What's an Adam beer? Um, you you gotta go check out Necromancer because Especially, they can explain yeah. it all to you, and you can try it. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, and um, since Steve is part of this podcast, a lot of people know about it from the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. So if you're there, please go check. Please go check Necrom- Necromancer out. They're uh, fantastic. After trying all these beers, if you're going out for your Christmas shopping good. at uh, one of the malls out there on McKnight Road, why don't you go Road. go over to Babcock? Yeah, uh, check out Necromancer. Uh, it's fantastic. Any plans going forward? Like what, what's, what's yeah. your last looking, thing uh, before we sign off here? Uh, yeah. General direction for the future, yeah. maybe. Plan uh, for the future. Yeah. Generally I'd say first year in our belt, roughly. I mean, we are only, we'll only be open like eight months by years, year close, uh, this year. Uh, we're doing it all again next year, just a little bit more now that we know what we want to do in terms of like, what resurrections do we want to make again? Which ones do we want to add that you guys are like reading our strategy? Like there's going to be a seasonality to resurrections. I think there has to be some are omnipresent. Um, but going forward, just continuing to maintain strategic direction, doing things intentionally. Uh, we're also, I mean, we're in a big building. We're in a 14,000 square foot building with a tap room capacity. If we were in a segment, you know, segmented piece of our building for permitting and code and management reasons. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if we opened our full tap room, it'd be the biggest tap room in Western PA that could oh, see wow. 880 people. So Holy guacamole. that's crazy. Huge. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So where we're, where we're trying to go is we want to scale up our beer production facility first. So going into 2022, mm-hmm. we're going to do everything we can to do that. And then probably, 23 or 24 scale up the tap room. So we're just trying to, you know, you start small, you grow slow, you build a mm-hmm. base, you perfect your product, your product and your team and your audience. 
and yeah. start to begin to tell that narrative and do it right because last thing you want to do is to start too big, have too much, have no demand mm. and create bad product all at once. People do that all the time. It's very hard to do uh, and, and get rid of and, and fix. Mm, yeah. So we just want to scale up. We want to go bigger. And then I would say like even beyond that, you know, we'll see where it goes, but maybe look at other places, you know, to, yeah. to go. Pretty so distribute. pretty, a pretty, uh, traditional trajectory i would say where we want to just get bigger and then see how big we can get yeah, at definitely. some point solid solid well from a uh from a taste standpoint uh i think you guys are right on track so give props to uh head brewer's name is lauren right yeah yep yep so hey You're doing a great job let her know good job, that lauren. these beers are fantastic good job lauren uh, like we said before the the design is awesome the branding yep. is awesome um, the location where you guys are at is awesome. North Hills. I, I don't know any other. I'm sure you know people closer brewery wise, but I don't know any other breweries in the North Hills. The first. Um, there you the go. First. The first brewery in the North Hills. Oh, yeah. um, we we are great friends of you, Ben. Uh, it's awesome to see that you're doing well. Um, and we're excited to For see sure. where you go. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Very and excited. We, we'll definitely have to do round two. Oh, round two. We'll go big sure. and boozy. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. yeah. Oh, heck, yeah. You don't got to twist our, our <laughs> arm too hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Anyways, thanks again, Ben. Here's a theme song. You know it's not a mean song. It's a good song, just as it should song. American brews and tunes. Shibbity-beebity.